0: Today's scripture reading is Luke chapter 4 verses 31 through 37. And he went down to Capernaum of Galilee and he was teaching them on the Sabbath and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice ha what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. We're in a series of messages on, um, in the Gospel of Luke where we're examining the encounters that Jesus had with individuals and how those encounters remind us that Jesus came to save, that Jesus came to save. We know that because of what the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, But the Bible clearly states that you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save. and In saving us, the Bible reminds us that there was two things in particular that Jesus did. He saved, he he took away our sins, and he destroyed the works of the devil. These two things are laid out for us in 1 John chapter 3, very clearly, as it explains to us what Jesus came to do in 3, chapter 3 and verse 5, you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. He came to take away our sin, and just two verses, and just uh, three verses later, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to take away our sins. And in taking away our sins, that salvation that is accomplished in Christ taking away our sins includes the breaking of the power and destroying the works of the devil. So Jesus came on these two accounts, to take away sin and to destroy Satan. Sin and Satan. It is not surprising then that Jesus didn't just encounter sin when he came to save, but Jesus also encountered Satan. Because he didn't just come to take away sin. He came also to destroy the works of the devil. And we see this in not only Jesus' confrontation with sin in this world, but we see it over and over again as he encounters Satan and his minions. He came to destroy and to bring an end to the works of Satan. And in fact, this may explain, beloved, the increase of the presence and the intensity of the demonic activity during the lifetime and ministry of Jesus. I mean, nowhere in the Bible do we see such an intense presence and focus of the demonic than we do in the Gospels as they are recording the life and ministry of Jesus. Because the demons and Satan understood. They understood that the plan and purpose for Jesus coming into the world. The Old Testament, beloved, in many ways is an account of Satan's attempt to thwart the plan of God to save his people through the promised Messiah. And Satan, since he couldn't stop Jesus from coming, as he tried to do, when Jesus came, he turned his attention and efforts to stop his success in saving the world. And so when, the, when Jesus came, there was a message sent to the demons. It was a code red. All demons on full alert. Jesus has entered the world. And during the life and ministry of Jesus, we see it over and over again, beloved. We see it over and over again we learn that Satan's power is real and substantial. Real and substantial. He has power. He has the power to afflict. We see this. We we can see this in the attacks that he made on the health and life of, of Job. He has the power to oppress. Doubt and discouragement and unbelief often befalls people because of satanic and demonic influence. Jesus actually warned Peter against this, beloved. The power to confuse. Calling wrong right and right wrong is one of the results of Satan's schemes. Bringing about confusion and division is high on his agenda. He has the power to accuse. Not only does he accuse us to God to no avail, but his greater success is accusing us to us. Spends a lot of the time accusing you to you. He has the power to accuse. He has the power to frighten. He uses fear. Particularly what the Bible refers to as the fear of man to paralyze, to impair, to frustrate our service and our faithfulness. Satan has significant and substantial and real power. And it is to this work, it is in light of this power, that the Bible reminds us that Jesus came to break the power of Satan. He was revealed to take away our sin and to break the power of sin in our lives and he came to break also the power of Satan in the world and in our lives. And this is what we see again illustrated in our text this morning. The power of Christ over Satan and sin. Last week, we were in chapter 4 of Luke. We saw Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth. And going to his hometown of Nazareth, he goes there to teach and to preach. And we learn that it had not been the most welcoming of experiences. It was not a happy homecoming. His own people rejected him. And in chapter 4 and verse 29, the Bible says that they drove him out of town, and they tried to kill him. But Jesus escaped, the Bible says, and sometime later, it seems, he went to Capernaum. And arriving in Capernaum, what did he do? Well, beloved, he did the same thing he did in Nazareth. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he began preaching and teaching. And as Jesus taught in the synagogue in Capernaum, therefore, it is illustrated, and we can learn a couple important truths of the words of Jesus. We we learn and we glean that his teaching has authority. We learn and we glean that his teaching has power. His teaching has power. His word has power. And there are two evidences of his word's power. And the first one is that there is power in what his word says. And the second one is, is that there is power in what his word does. There is power in what his word says and what it proclaims. And there is power in what his word does, what it accomplishes. And what does his word say? His word says that Jesus is Lord. That's what his word says. That's what his word consistently says, beloved. Says that Jesus is Lord. You read this text and you can't help but marvel to see that when Jesus spoke, his words were different His words were different. They came from a different place. They carried a different weight. They were not words from someone, about someone. That's what I do. My words are from someone, about someone. Jesus' words were from him and about him. And to those who heard him, that was amazing. They never heard that before. Never heard that before, beloved. And when they heard him, as many had on many occasions, They were amazed. They were amazed. In John chapter 7 and verse 46, the testimony of those who heard him, you know what they said? He spoke like no one they had ever heard. Amazed. Amazed. It was his words that pointed to who he was and where he had come from. In John chapter 7, in verse 40, the Bible says, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely, surely, this man is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. Still, others said, How can he be the Messiah? How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Amazed, astonished. His words, beloved, were not just powerful. His words were power. People have powerful words. Frederick Douglass' words were powerful. Abraham Lincoln's words were powerful. Dr. Martin Luther King's words were powerful. But their power was from somewhere else. As a result of their education, as a result of their exposure to good teaching and and proper books, it came to them. They gained it. It was given to them. Why? Because power and authority in this world is always derived. It's always derived. In other words, it is either given or taken. In a democracy, the people give the power. In a dictatorship, the dictator takes the power. Jesus' power and authority were not given, they were not taken, they were his. Inherently his. And this is what made it so amazing, beloved. This is what made it so unique. This is what made it to be that which no one had ever heard before. People began to wonder what manner of teaching is this? Even, remember, even at the age, the tender age of 13, in Luke chapter 2, and verse 47. And all who heard him were amazed, amazed at his understanding and his answers. Nothing like they had ever heard before. And to his disciples and all those gathered around him in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of his preaching of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible says in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority, real power, real authority, not as their teachers of the law. Even in Nazareth, even in Nazareth, even in his hometown. They couldn't help but be amazed. Mark chapter 6 and verse 2. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? Beloved, Jesus was different. The other teachers taught what they heard. Jesus spoke what he knew. There's a difference. It's the difference between your elementary teacher teaching you about the moon and then Neil Armstrong or Alan Shepard coming in to teach you about the moon. It's the difference between your high school teacher instructing you on Shakespeare and then Shakespeare himself shows up to teach you Shakespeare. It's the difference between your preacher this morning preaching and teaching you about heaven and then Jesus himself shows up and starts teaching you about heaven. With a different weight. There's a different authority. There's a greater power. Jesus is different, beloved. He's like E.F. Hutton. When he spoke, people listened. And this is because, beloved, Jesus wasn't quoting what he read. Jesus was teaching what he wrote. Because Christ, beloved, wasn't just teaching the Word. He is the Word. He is the Word. He is that Word of God come clear. He is that Word of God made clear. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Word of God, revealed and made clear. This is why God the Father declared in Luke chapter 9 and verse 34, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is My son whom I have chosen, now you listen to him. Because his words have power. His words have authority. His words are different. His words are truth, beloved. His words are life. And This is what Peter said at the end of John in chapter 6. After Jesus finished teaching and many disciples had left him, Jesus looked at Peter and said, how about you, Peter? Are you going to leave too? And what did Peter say? Verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's the power this morning. That is what the Word does. That is what the Word declares. That is what the words of Jesus say. They declare that Jesus is God's only son. They declare that he is Messiah. They declare that he is Savior. They declare that he is the Holy One sent by God to save his people. They declare that Christ is the only one. That's what the Word says over and over again. Jesus is the one, the only one, the holy one, the Savior of the world. That's what the Word says. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. And yet, beloved, and yet, As amazing as that is, I would suggest to you this morning that even more amazing is not just the power in what the Word says, but also the power in what the Word does. And what does the Word do? It saves it saves. The Bible says that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue that day as he had done on many different occasions, as he had just done in Nazareth. And while they were debating who Jesus is, And where does this power and authority come from? While they were debating what he was saying and how it was being communicated to them concerning him, there was one in the synagogue that day who got the word loud and clear. While most of them were in confusion, trying to understand this power and this authority that they had never heard before. There was one in that synagogue that day who got the message loud and clear. Verse 33, and in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Yes. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, there's an obvious question here, beloved. The question is, what was the demon doing in the synagogue? Did you ask yourself that question? What was the demon doing in the synagogue? I want to suggest to you this morning, the demon was in the synagogue because the demon is not afraid to be in the synagogue. The devil is never afraid of religious people. He just isn't, beloved. In fact, he does some of his best work among the religious, stirring up divisions, keeping up controversy. Encouraging anger and debate. And so I'm I'm of the opinion, I think it's strong, beloved, that this demon was probably no stranger. He was no stranger to the synagogue. He had probably seen this synagogue before. No reason to think that this was his first time there, he was probably a frequent visitor. A familiar face. Frequently showing up in the synagogue looking for a fight. Because that's what Satan does. He shows up looking for a fight. Like Goliath out there in the Valley of Elah. Taunting And mocking the nation of Israel. Every day, every day, picking a fight. Every day, picking a fight. That's what the devil does. That's what he does, beloved. Every day, he's looking for a fight. Every day, he's looking to pick a contest. And with Satan, it's always a contest of power and authority. Always. When he entered the garden by way of the serpent... And he comes to Adam and Eve, he wants to fight. When he goes to God concerning Job, he wants to make it a contest. In Egypt, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, Satan makes it a contest. And David comes upon Goliath, mocking and taunting the armies of Israel. That is Satan, beloved, making it a contest. Who's got the power? Who's got the authority? Even with Jesus in the wilderness, beginning of Luke chapter 4, As Jesus goes out into the wilderness, Satan makes it a contest. Who has the power? Who has authority? And even when Jesus wins that contest, you know what the Bible says in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Luke? When the devil had finished all his tempting. When he had lost the contest, he left him until another opportunity. Until another fight could be had. Why? Because Satan wants to win, and Satan is a poor loser. Poor loser. Beloved. But this time, this man, like Goliath, had come into the temple on many occasions to taunt, to mock. And I'm sure those teachers of the law in there, when they saw him coming, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, here he comes. There he is. Who's going to go up against him today? Who's going to deal with him today? But well, this time, beloved, what he quickly found out, that it wasn't some old teacher of the law. This time it was the lawgiver himself. This time it was Jesus. This time it was the Lord Him. Now listen, beloved, we are not told what Jesus taught on that day. And, And when he was in Nazareth, we are told that he quoted from Isaiah. But right here in this synagogue, we are not told what Jesus taught when he was in Capernaum. But whatever it was, that demon was listening. Whatever it was, that demon heard him. And whatever it was, it didn't sit well with that unclean spirit. It must have been something that Jesus said. And, beloved, it usually is. It usually is. It's just something that Jesus said. It must have reminded him quickly that his time was short. Reminding him that he only had a short period of of time, that his doom and end was pending. It must have pointed out again that the demon's power is limited. That he came into the temple that morning thinking that he would have all power in there. And when he heard Jesus speak, that demon realized that in the presence of Jesus, the demon is impotent. The demon who came to frighten now was suddenly in fear. The demon who came to intimidate was suddenly intimidated. Why? Because the demon knew what time it was. He knew what time it was. In this, he knew something that nobody else in the congregation knew. You know why that is, beloved? That's because the devil knows some things. The devil knows some things. There are certain truths that the demonic world knows and they know well. They know who God is. what it says in James chapter 2 and verse 19. They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. Notice that this demon calls Jesus by name. He knows him. He knows him in heaven as the Holy One of God. He knows him in the earth as Jesus of Nazareth. He knows who he is. They know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They know that our salvation is at the hands of Jesus. They know that Jesus has come to take away our sins. They know that Jesus has come to defeat them. They know that our salvation is in the hands of Jesus, and they also know that their defeat and destruction is in his hands too. Knowing this, knowing this, what does the demon do? The demon wanted to plead his case. He speaks up. He wants to plead his case. Because in pleading his case, by pleading his case, beloved, he could give the impression that he actually had something to say. They always get something to say. They always want to talk. They want to taunt and they want to talk. But, beloved, listen Jesus was not interested in a conversation. Okay, let's be clear this morning. This was not a teaching moment. This was not to be a contest among equals. One had power, the other did not. One had authority, the other did not. This was not a contest. This was not first take. This was not part in the interruption. This was not the view. This was Jesus, the Lord of all creation. The Lord of all the earth, the Lord of all things above and under the earth. And there was not going to be a back and forth, there was not going to be a give and take. At the demon's words, Jesus gave two commands clear and concise. Be quiet and come out. Be quiet and come out. Be quiet. Be quiet. He wasn't interested in the, in the demon's opinion. He wasn't interested in the demon's pleas. He wasn't interested in the demonic noise God's beloved, that's all it is. That's all it ever is. It's noise. That's all the devil and the demons have ever made. It's just noise. That's how you know the presence of him. Because he makes commotion, noise creates turmoil. Creates disquiet. It's what he does in the world, but more importantly, beloved, this is what he does in your soul, in my heart and mind. Disquiet. Chirping all the time. Keeping up turmoil and discord. This is why The demon didn't want to see Jesus that day. The devil never wants to see Jesus come in. Because when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes, when Jesus speaks, there's a blessed quietness. There's a blessed quietness. There's a holy quietness. What an assurance in my soul. We used to sing that song when I was young. On that stormy sea. Brother Simpson, you know that one. Jesus speaks to me and the billows cease to roll. Beloved, that's what I need this morning. a Blessed quietness. And I know there's, there's others here needed to, because the enemy has been at you all week. Noise, 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 in your heart, noise, in your home, noise, noise. Jesus is here this morning, and he says to those demonic forces, hush! There's a quietness. That I speak to my people. Hush! There is a peace that I speak to my people. Jesus is here this morning to tell the devil, his minions, the enemy, hush to the storms of your life, be still to tell your soul it is well. It is well. So that when, when, when peace like a river tends your way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever your lot, he has taught you to say, the devil is a liar. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. He didn't just tell him to hush. He told him also, "Come out." Sounds like a Jordan Peele movie. <laughs> Come out. It ain't no movie, beloved. Ain't no fictionalized Hollywood script. That's what the devil would have you to think it is. No, beloved, this is real. This is real power. This is the real purposes of Jesus. Listen to me and listen carefully this morning. Jesus was not in Capernaum just to teach, Jesus was not in Capernaum just to preach. He went to that synagogue that day for the same reason he had come into the world. Jesus went to save. That's why he was there, to save. This wasn't about the demon. Jesus couldn't care less about that demon. He came to set that man free. That's why he came there. He didn't come to save demons. He came to save you and he came to save me. That's why he was born. That's why he died. And that's why he rose again on the third day, beloved. To save, to save, to save. And his power is the power to save. It's the power. Beloved, that breaks the power of sin. It is the power that breaks the power of Satan. Satan's power is real. Jesus' power is more real still. Sin's power is great. Jesus' power is greater still. And, beloved, it is important to, re- to remember, to remember that there is no salvation without the power of God through Jesus Christ to break the power of sin and Satan in our lives. That's salvation. That's salvation. And that's what Christ does. That's what Christ does, beloved. He breaks the power, the grip, the hold that the enemy has on his people. This is what the power of Christ does every day. Whatever, whatever is keeping you from knowing and worshiping God as you should, Jesus comes to break you out. That's what he does. He breaks us out. Why? Because he reminds us. And this is what this is what we need to be reminded of. Because we forget this. Okay? I forget it. You forget it. We all forget it. That sin is no match for God's grace. Sin is no match for God's grace. The devil is no match for your Savior. No match. Somebody say no match. No match. He is no match. No match. You see, I don't, I don't know if you understand, but I'm sure That that man who was set free from that demon understood. And when he got up, and when he got up off the ground and looked at Jesus, he began to say, no match. He is no match. He said to my enemies and foes who plan destruction for my soul, you are no match. No match for my master. Then he said, I know Satan must be mad because he lost a soul he thought he had. He is no match. No match. No match. For my Savior. No match, beloved. Don't you forget that. Don't you forget that. Whatever he starts whispering this week, you tell him, you are no match for my Savior. When you fall into sin, when condemnation befalls your spirit, you speak no match. Your sin is no match for God's grace. No match, no match for my Savior this morning. No match. Let's pray.